John chapter 16, and we want to talk about the Holy Spirit this morning as we've been uh, walking through the Gospel of John for uh, several weeks. In fact, this is, I think, if I, my count's right, the 29th, 30th message in this series in through the Gospel of John. And one of the things that we, or the section we're in, uh, in chapters 14 through 17 is a body of, uh, of material, a section of Scripture that is oftentimes referred to as the upper room discourse. That means Jesus is with his disciples in the upper room, and he is teaching them. And this section in John chapters uh, 14 through 17, uh, you only find it in the Gospel of John. It's not anywhere in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but it's uniquely in the Gospel of John. And one of the, uh, the things that Jesus uh, tells his disciples, remember, at this point in time, Jesus began to talk to them about uh, his impending arrest and ultimate crucifixion and death. He also uh, told them that one among them is going to betray them. One of the disciples is going to betray them. And of course, we know that as Judas. They didn't know that at the time when Jesus told them that because they were kind of looking at each other wondering, who, who is it? And uh, it was a very distressing time. And it won't be on the screen, but John chapter 14 says, Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled. So I want you to kind of see this this, this body flow, uh, you know, I say this many times that chapters and verse numbers, those were put in uh, centuries later as a help to guide. And so sometimes by doing that, uh, it kind of breaks a flow of thought. And I want you to see that this is, uh, these chapters are a continual flow from Jesus telling his disciples, I don't want your hearts to be troubled, but I want you to have, uh, I want you to believe and believe in me. I want you to have peace that passes understanding. And one of the truths that Jesus mentions several times in this section of Scripture, in these chapters 14 through 17, is he talks about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Uh, what comes to your, and don't say it out loud, but just what comes to your mind when you hear uh, the Holy Spirit? Hear that Title, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, part of the Godhead, the Trinity uh, in Christian doctrine that we speak of. When you hear, we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit, we're going to teach about the Holy Spirit, a lot of things might come to your mind depending on your, your background. Uh, you know, our, many of our backgrounds, you may come out of a Pentecostal charismatic background, and so you naturally kind of mind runs to that direction of maybe certain manifestations, speaking in tongues, healing services, or whatnot. Uh, you may think when we talk about the Holy Spirit, oh, that's just only for those that are kind of the super spiritual Christians. They're the ones that are always talking about being led by the Spirit. You know, ooh, you know they're always those kind of folks. Well, uh, that you, you may have a thought of that, that that somehow means you're only super spiritual if you discuss or learn about the Holy Spirit. You might think that the Holy Spirit, when you hear that, and maybe, again, you're, you're new to the Christian faith, and you think of this as kind of some kind of mystical spiritual force. You're not really sure what, it, what it's all about. But the honest truth is, is that many of us do not have a really clear, good understanding about what the Bible teaches on the Holy Spirit. Many churches that sometimes have exhibited where we say, well, these are, this is a revival, a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. It may be, it may not be, but sometimes where things run amok is because Christians haven't been taught to have a 
biblically balanced uh, grid and a guideline that Scripture teaches for us to evaluate what is truly the move of the Holy Spirit and what might be uh, that which we're not sure about. Well, we're not going to get into solving all those things today, but I want us, as we continue through the Gospel of John, I want us to look and kind of highlight this emphasis of the Holy Spirit. And the title of this morning's message is going to be a little bit more topical, even though we'll pull in uh, several scriptures from Jesus' teaching in John, is the title is The Seven Ministries of the Holy Spirit. You notice it says part one. This morning, uh, early uh, this morning, when I was kind of going over things at home, I realized this message is too long for one message. So I'm going to split it in half, all right? So we're going to split it in half and do part of this today. And that way you'll be out uh, before 2 o'clock for sure, okay? Uh, but this morning, we want to we take some... This would be a little teaching, but we do want to uh, give it time and rather than just kind of rush through some things, because I think these things are important. And Lord willing, after we finish the Gospel of John, we may take six, eight weeks and, and spend some time a little more teaching on the Holy Spirit and the various aspects of the gifts of the Spirit and those type of things. But there's a lot of different opinions concerning the Holy Spirit. But one of the things that is consistent throughout church history is that the doctrine of the Holy Spirit is tied into the very nature of the character of God. God is identified in Scripture as a trinity. Now, the word the Bible doesn't use the word trinity in the Bible, doesn't use the word rapture in the Bible, but, but it's implied through the teaching of Scripture concerning the nature of God that He's revealed Himself in three personalities that are interrelated, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and yet they are of one essence, okay? There's not three gods, one essence, one God, and three persons or personalities, if you will. Uh, historically, that's the reason we as Christians are, in, in this sense, consistent with Judaism and even Islam in the sense that we are what is called monotheistic. We believe in one God. We're not like Hinduism or, or even Mormonism where they teach multiple gods, or even if you, you can be a god, is certainly contrary to the teaching of Scripture. But this has been the orthodox doctrinal teaching that the Holy Spirit is God of very God. He's not just a force. He's not some, uh, you know, some kind of immaterial uh, presence or something. He is actually the very God of very God. He's part of the Godhead. Some of you may, in your church tradition, may have come out of a background where as uh, we, uh, you may have recited maybe the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed or those type of things. And it's interesting because the Nicene Creed has a very specific identification concerning the Holy Spirit. And sometimes those of us who maybe didn't come out of that where creeds are used, we need to keep in mind creeds were never intended to be in any way substitutes for the Bible. But remember that when creeds were used, everybody didn't have a Bible. Uh, they, many of them were not even illiterate. So what it did is it enabled people to, in a very succinct and very uh, specific way, understand and identify what is considered the teaching of Christianity. What does the Bible teach? And so sometimes creeds, and like the Apostles' Creed, for example, the Nicene Creed that will be on your screen, written in the year 325, has this as part of its stanza concerning the Holy, the Holy Spirit. And the stanza in the Nicene Creed 
uh, is very specific. The wording, the commas, everything's there for a reason to make sure there is um, a specific uh, understanding of the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Nicene Creed, this statement says, I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Lord and giver of life, talking about the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. So you see that the early Christian understanding of the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit is divine. It is deity. The Holy Spirit, again, is not some sub-force, but he is, the Holy Spirit is a part of the Godhead. Sometimes you see this in the attributes. By the way, none of this is in your handout or notes, so this is all no charge. You're getting this free today, all right? But, uh, but I do think it's important that we kind of just remind ourselves, because I'm always cognizant of people who are new to the Christian faith, or even people who've been in church all their life, but have never been taught basic doctrine or basic understanding. So if you're a theologian and this is a little basic for you, then, then you, just, you just take a little rest and for the rest of us to catch up here. But there are several attributes that are identified with the Holy Spirit that identify that only these are attributes of God. Thus, if they're related to the Holy Spirit, then it is, again, showing us that the Holy Spirit is God of very God. Part of the Trinity, but part of the deity uh, that we call the deity. Like Jesus is God. Jesus is deity. Uh, the Holy Spirit. For example, the Holy Spirit is identified as being what we call omnipresent. That means the Holy Spirit is everywhere at all times. For example, in Psalm 139, verse 7, Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. The Holy Spirit, where can I go from your spirit? The Holy Spirit, uh, as God, is everywhere. We call that omnipresent. Also, the Holy Spirit is all-powerful. The word is omnipotent, omnipotent. The Holy Spirit is all-powerful. Example, when Mary was visited by the angel to announce the birth uh, that she would be with child in Luke 1.35, and the angel answered and said to her, Mary, quote, the angel said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you, and therefore also the Holy One who is to be born shall be called the Son of God. So the Holy Spirit as God is identified as God, as all-powerful. Also, the Holy Spirit has all knowledge. We call this omniscient, the omniscience of God. 1 Corinthians 2.11. Again, there's many, many verses, but uh, these are just a little sample for our understanding. 1 Corinthians 2.11. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. And one of the truths that Jesus uh, spoke about in, in John 16 that we'll look at is that the things that the 
Holy Spirit understands and, and, is, and uh, learns, or I shouldn't say learns, but that the Holy Spirit gleans from the Father that through the Holy Spirit now that will be sent by Christ upon his ascension, that he is going to bring those things and reveal those truths to us. So the Holy Spirit is vital to our lives as Christians. It's not just some option. And sometimes, again, to talk about the Holy Spirit is not some impersonal force. Give you some examples of the personal nature of the Holy Spirit. For example, in Acts 5.3, it says that the Holy Spirit, and these will be on the screen, the Holy Spirit can be lied to. The Holy Spirit can be lied to. Acts 5.3. You remember when Ananias and Sapphira had kind of a shady pyramid scheme, or I don't know what they had, but they had a little deal where they lied about giving a certain amount and withheld. Peter said to them, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? You can only lie to a person. It's not lying to some force. The Holy Spirit also can be quenched. Or, or as the Amplified says in 1 Thessalonians 5.19, says do not quench or suppress or subdue the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we can quench the Holy Spirit in this sense we're not limiting God, but we, as far as the, the Spirit's work in our lives and among our church through our attitudes, through our sins, through our disobedience, it certainly can be a hindrance uh, to the Holy Spirit's work in our lives and in our church. Also, the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit can be resisted, resisted. Also in Acts 7, this is in the middle of a sermon by Stephen, who is in the who is going to be uh, martyred and killed and stoned. And he is uh, giving this sermon there in Acts chapter 7. And in his rebuke to the nation of Israel, he says, You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. The ultimate resisting of the Holy Spirit was their resisting and rejecting of the Holy Spirit. And that leads to the other thing that is said about the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit can be blasphemed. Remember Jesus said that blasphemy of the Holy Spirit cannot be forgiven in Luke 12:10. And anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, Jesus, it will be forgiven to him, but to him who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven. That's again uh, simply is that when a person who knowingly and intentionally attributes the work of Jesus, the person of Jesus, as the manifestation or work of Satan. That's what blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is. It's not criticizing Pentecostals. It's not having a difference of opinion on tongues. All right, so let's make sure we, and you probably, if you're overly concerned about committing the unpardonable sin, you probably haven't or you wouldn't care, all right? So little tip there, because people think they've committed the unpardonable sin. Well, in context, when you study what it means, is that if you attribute the, Jesus to being the son of the devil, hello, there is no forgiveness of that, because there's one name under heaven, and that's the truth and the person of Jesus Christ. So this morning, as we begin looking at seven ministries of the Holy Spirit, we're going to just look at the first three, the first three, and uh, then when we come back, we'll finish it up uh, at another time when we're back in John. And uh, so, uh, so notice with me, and you have your 
your listener's guide there to follow along, and uh, you may want to keep that, or I may give you a new one and put some of this information in that I didn't have uh, when I made that up that may be helpful to you. But notice, let's look at seven ministries of the Holy Spirit. Number one, these are uh, in various places in the New Testament, and several of them are from the section of teaching concerning Jesus in this this, this set of scriptures or this set of teaching in John 14 through uh, 16. We haven't gotten into 17 yet. But notice, number one, one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit transforms our lives. The Holy Spirit transforms our lives. Galatians 5, verse 22 and 23, but the fruit of the Spirit, what is fruit? Fruit is a manifestation of the root, right? Fruit tells you what's going on in the root. Fruit is a manifestation of the life source. And so that's the reason it uses the illustration, or Paul uses the illustration of the fruit of the Spirit. And he says, but the fruit of the Spirit, the evidences of the fruit of the Spirit, is love, joy, peace long-suffering or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, against such there is no law. Now, keep in mind what's going on in Galatians. They are kind of reverting back to using the law as a way to live a righteous life. And Paul says, first of all, the law was never intended to do that. You can't live a righteous life apart from the indwelling and work of the Holy Spirit. You're, you're doing it in your own works. You're going to live and die by your own works rather than living it in the Spirit through the finished work of Christ. I'd rather do it through Jesus than my own self, right? All right? Some of you like that, okay? Some of you are not sure. All right. But Paul said, if you read Galatians, he says that we are to walk in the Spirit. That means that our life is to be exhibited in conformity. So if the Holy Spirit's job, one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit, is to transform my life, the Holy Spirit is conforming and molding and shaping my life to be more like Jesus every day. Should be. Should be like Jesus. Uh, In Galatians 5, as you probably may know from your reading, it talks about the works of the flesh, the sinful acts, those diminish the work of the Spirit. It is not saying that Christians don't sin, but a habitual, addictive, sinful patterns will diminish the work of the Spirit, will hinder the fruit of the Spirit being grown in evidence in our life. Now, we can kind of fake it like you have fake fruit. You ever been at somebody's house and they had some beautiful, luscious fruit on the kitchen counter. And when they weren't looking, you kind of went to go for that apple only to realize it was plastic, right? Well, sometimes we can fake our way, but you just begin to taste it. You begin to experience it in somebody's life and you realize that it's plastic, it's phony. Well, sin, oftentimes we seek to cover up our sinful behavior by doing and reverting back to works. You know, we start you know, we start doing a lot of activity. We start trying to do a lot of religious stuff so that God somehow is going to be impressed by that. But remember, again, Psalm 51, the sacrifices that God wants from our life is the sacrifice of a broken and contrite heart. He wants our heart. He wants our life. The Holy Spirit enables us to do those things. So when the Holy Spirit 
is working and, and involved in the transforming. What is it? Uh, we pray, uh, thy will be done on earth in me as it is in heaven. Right? Heaven's not trying to get their act together. I need what's settled and done in heaven to be true in my life. All right? So the Holy Spirit takes as Jesus would say, he takes from the Father, he takes from me, and he applies it and brings it and enables us to have and experience the work of transformation. We are only filled with love, joy, peace, and those evidences when we are living lives of submission to the love of Christ and allowing the Spirit to sanctify. Sanctify us is not only a one-time event, but it's a continual event. It's a one-time event with continual application. We're not just filled one time with the Spirit. We are being filled. We are continually being filled. I need gas in my car once a week. But He has sanctified us, and He is sanctified. Well, sanctified, uh, just to break that, sanctified just means to set apart. In the Old Testament, they had instruments of... Of, uh, uh, that were used in the temple for worship and the uh, work of God. And those instruments, the bowls, the lavers, all those different things, they weren't to be used to go and make, uh, you know, eggs and bacon and grits and then brought out and used in the temple. They were sanctified. That means they were set apart for a holy purpose. Who were the Levites? The Levites were sanctified among the tribes of Israel. Why? to be sanctified or set apart for a very specific job, a very specific place in the life and ministry of Israel. So when you talk about sanctification, it's just, a, it's just a, 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 it's accurate and helpful. It just means that the Holy Spirit has set me apart and He is continuing to set me apart from sin as I move towards being like Jesus. That's transformation, right? And you hear Jim uh, mention this many times in your teaching of transformation. We're not interested in reformation. I'm not talking about the reformation, historic reformation. I'm talking about we're not just looking to reform and rehabilitate my old man, my old life. No, I need transformation. I need what 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, that in Christ I am a new, what? Creation. The old has passed away. I'm not just looking for a new paint job and, and uh, fix the cracks in the sidewalk. No, I need a new, a new transformation, and that's the work of the Holy Spirit. And if you claim to walk by the Spirit, but your life is lacking the fruit of the Spirit. You know, a lot of times we have divisions in our churches historically because we have this sometimes a different ways that we look at evidences of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes, you know, again, I'm talking about uh, different manifestations. But I tell you what the real evidence of the Holy Spirit is <laughs> love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness. I've known people, and I don't say this, I know people that have been, you know, as, in my background, filled with the Holy Spirit, speak in tongues, and, you know, just exhibit a great fire, meaner as a snake. But it's the fruit of the Spirit. It's the evidences of the work, the transforming work of the Holy Spirit that takes you from a mean, cussing, critical, snarky individual and gives you words of kindness, gentleness, tenderness. But the point is, is that when the Holy Spirit works on a person's life, 
He says, against such things there is no law, but real fruit has to be grown. There's no instantaneous sanctification in the sense that we are just going to wake up after we gave our lives to Jesus, and all of a sudden these things are going, oh, we'll see evidences. I think every Christian who comes to faith in Christ should have some evidences of change and changing, right? But a person who claims to be a follower of Jesus and these evidences aren't seen in some small ways that are growing and, and, and allowing our lives to continue to be transformed by the Holy Spirit, something may be wrong. Maybe they made a decision for Jesus, but Jesus never made a decision for them. Their life has no evidence of change. Does that mean that happens overnight? Some do. I've known some people that have been immediately delivered from drugs, cigarettes, you name it. Immediately. I don't discount that one bit. But there are others that some things take more time. The sweetness has to grow. Spend a little time in the sun, S-O-N, all right? It has to be grown and developed a little bit over time. So don't miss the fact that the Holy Spirit, one of the ministries, main ministries, and you say, you know what? I don't have that in my life. Here's a wonderful promise in Luke eleven thirteen, 13, that Jesus says, uh, told his disciples to pray, and says, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Guess what? If you're a born-again believer, you ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, transform those areas of my life that I know are not pleasing to you. I'm not talking about heaven or hell salvation issues. I'm talking about Christians who deal with sin in their life. And if you're a Christian for one nanosecond, you're going to deal, you're going to deal with sin. But the difference is you have the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome sin. You have the power of the Holy Spirit to what? Transform you into a, that new creation. And you can ask the Holy Spirit to apply His power to give you the strength and give you the will and give you the desire. Sometimes I just say, Lord, I don't desire to do this. I need to borrow some of your desire. And guess what? He'll loan me some of His desire. You lack love for a person? Borrow from Jesus. Borrow from some of His love to help you love that person. You see, whatever we lack, whatever we need, Jesus, God, through the Holy Spirit, has an abundance of anything and everything that we need. That's why Jesus said in John 16, it's better that I leave you because if I don't leave, I can't send the Holy Spirit. You've had me talking to his disciples. You've had me among you, but when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to be inside of you. He's going to be me inside of you. So the transforming work of the Holy Spirit. Secondly, work of the Holy Spirit not only transforming us, but also convicts us of sin. Here we are in John 16. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. John 16, verse 7. Jesus said, in this upper room discourse, He said, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper, that's, remember we talked about the Greek word, the parakletos, the Holy Spirit, the Helper, will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him. Notice H-I-M. Notice him is capitalized. That's a person. I will send him. I'm not going to send it to you. Hello? 
I'm not going to send it. I'm going to send him to you. Verse 8. And when he has come, if you have your Bible, all those, all those, uh, uh, all those identifiers of the personality and the identification of Jesus, I'll just circle those. Him, he, when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness, of judgment, of sin, because they do not believe in me, of righteousness, because I go to my Father and see, and you will see me no more, uh, and of uh, judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Don't worry about all those other verses. I just want you to focus that when he has come, verse 8, go back to verse 8, and when he has come, he will convict the world of sin. Now, there's something very profound here. Whose job in this world is it to convict the world of sin? Must be mine. That's my job. And I'm going to use social media. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to be critical. And if it, No, no, no. Isn't that one of the issues of why the church is in such a dis, disrepute? Because we have, been, we have been trying to do something that only the Holy Spirit can do. Sometimes we talk... And we're the greatest critics. And again, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not saying that we just let everything go and everything. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about it's an amazing thing that when the work of the Holy... What is our job? Our job is to be people that are transformed by the Holy Spirit. We're to be people that are exhibiting the fruit and the joy that is of the Lord, that is our strength... And as we are living and growing for Christ and as we go out into the marketplace, whether we're servers or doctors or lawyers or whatever, what are we going out as? We're not we're going out as different people. We're going out as people living and serving and operating under the kingdom of Jesus as our Lord and our Savior. And people all of a sudden see that where I used to buck out, you know, uh, 20 minutes before uh, work ended and I was always late and sometimes I would slide some supplies in my, uh, my lunchbox or whatever it is, all of a sudden now they see my life transforming and all of a sudden I want to be a conscientious employee. Why? Because my employer changed. I'm working for the king now. I'm accountable to Jesus now. My life has been transformed. People begin to see the real fruit. Yes, sometimes our talk has been real cheap. We talk big games, but we live lives in churches among even ministers that are hypocritical and phony. And we wonder why people aren't breaking the doors down to give me some of that. They live with that. You know, it's interesting that when a church or a minister or somebody... Uh, sadly, you know, when something corrupt or something scandalous and it, and it gets on the news, what's interesting that even in the, the bent commentary, they're acknowledging something very important. They're acknowledging the reason sometimes it's like, boy, you could have, you could have it doesn't matter, President Biden walks on water, but you get a church or a pastor skimming money or running off with somebody or whatever, that's going to be the lead story. Because that's that just, you know, that, yeah, that's why I don't want anything to do with those religious hypocrites. You know, that's why I don't want anything, you know, they're all a bunch of phonies scamming money, all blah, blah, blah. But you know what they're acknowledging? In their twisted way, I'm not even saying they're conscious of it, is that, wait a minute. These people should be different. These people shouldn't do this. They're the ones, you know, 
we can get a great rally to put the Ten Commandments on a big rock boulder at the Capitol, we'll get people ramped up and excited and flag-waving and yelling, and we'll respond, how about we live the Ten Commandments? Huh? That's a little harder, isn't it? You hear what I'm saying? Transformed by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit can use not our lives where we're going around pointing fingers. I love what Jim Cimbala says. Make sure I get it right. Jim Cimbala, pastors Brooklyn Tabernacle in New York City, said instead of trying to lead, try, instead of trying to get sin out of people, let's lead people out of sin. Do you see the difference? Instead of focusing on getting sin out of people, we're good at that. How about we lead people out of sin? How about we see people the way Christ sees them? How about we begin to show love, compassion of Jesus? Does that mean anything? No. But we let the Holy Spirit. I found that when the Holy Spirit does the convicting work, the application of truth, of God's standards, when the Holy Spirit does those things. And some of you who are dealing with friends and families and you're exhausted at talking, maybe you need to quit talking and do more praying. Let the Holy, the Holy Spirit, have you found this to be true? I have. The Holy Spirit can do more in five minutes than I can do in five years. Because the Holy Spirit can get into the very crevices of the heart of the most hardened, angry, hostile, antagonist that you think God would, he will never, she will never be saved. All hope is lost. I'm sure they say that about Saul, who we know as Paul. Think about it. Saul was intent on destroying the very church that Jesus Christ said he will build upon this rock. And he was on his way to Damascus with letters, and he was going to round up and had rounded up women, children. He didn't care. If there was a Taliban mentality, Saul had that mentality because he thought whatever violence he exhibited, he was doing God a favor at ridding out these Christians. And Jesus stopped him literally in his tracks. And Paul would later testify in the book of Galatians chapter 1. He says, you know what? God's intervention in my life didn't happen on the road to Damascus. He says, but when God separated me from my mother's womb, the work of God began before Paul was even Paul. But God knew and God had a plan and a purpose for his life. And at the nanosecond of eternity and providence that collided and came together, Paul couldn't do anything else but say, Lord, is that you? So don't underestimate the power of prayer, especially for those that you have around you or near you. And you say, boy, I just don't see it. You may not see it, 
But God sees it. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. And see, that's why, as a believer, one of the things that is true in our life, we somehow think, now we know Romans 8, 1, there's therefore now no condemnation. But that doesn't mean the Holy Spirit is not bringing, I'm talking now about believers, the whole conviction of sin in the world, but I'm talking about the role of the Holy Spirit to believers convicts us of sin. Because one of the things that's true in my life and your life, those of you who are born again and the Holy Spirit's dwelling in you, is the Holy Spirit will convict you. The Holy Spirit will bring those things to your life and say, hey, 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 that wasn't right. Now, I don't know if he'll say, hey, 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 but... <laughs> he'll put his finger on something you said, an attitude, an action... Something you were critical, he'll, he'll, and what is, and you know, now we have a choice in those matters, don't we? We can just say, well, I was justified. I, God, you don't know. God, you don't know. Holy Spirit's gift, God's gift to believers is that the work of the Holy Spirit will bring us conviction of sin, of those things that are, that are out of conformity to the will and purposes of Jesus in our life. That's the reason, yes, it's raining. Um, <laughs> that's the reason when you and I sin, that we cannot enjoy that sin because the Holy Spirit will always be there to spoil the day. And that's God's gift to you and me. You see, suppressing the conviction of the Holy Spirit is not a good thing. What happens, even into a believer's, and I know there's a lot of complexities to this, but I'm just talking about in a general sense that we continue to suppress the conviction and, and the Holy Spirit saying, hey, don't do that. Don't watch that. Don't subscribe to that. You don't need to binge watch that. You don't need to say those things. You don't need to tell those jokes. You don't need to laugh at those jokes. And you're like, ah, you know, I don't want people to think I'm a nut, Jesus. You just keep suppressing. And it's interesting even though it's in context speaking about unbelievers, in Romans 1.18 it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Listen, you cannot live a life of God's favor if you will continue to suppress and suppress and suppress the working of the Holy Spirit in your life as a believer. Do you hear what I'm saying? Because you know what will happen over time? Have you ever been like to a workplace and you first were there and they had a certain machinery or an alarm or some sound that for the first couple of days, it drove you crazy? You're like, how can anybody do any work in this place? One week later, you didn't even hear it. Same noise, same rattling, same sound. Kind of like that rattling that used to be up here till St. Dempsey and A.J. fixed it, all right? After a while, I got to where I just tuned it out. 
Some of you don't even know what I'm talking about. That's good. Why? You suppress it long enough, you'll grow hardened to the working of the Holy Spirit. You run enough red lights, but listen, your luck is going to run out because you're going to run one red light too many. You hear what I'm saying? This is the convicting power of the Holy Spirit that operates in our, in our life. It's a gift from God. 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? The temple, in the Old Testament sense, that was reserved for holy things. The Holy Spirit is holy. He's called the Holy Spirit dwells in you. 1 John 1, 9, we have the great truth that the work of the Holy Spirit is a great cleansing It says that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we should pray the prayers. You say, God, you say, my desire is not what it should be. I know as a believer I've suppressed and suppressed and suppressed, but we need to pray prayers like Psalm 51, verse 10 through 12. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal or right spirit within me. Do not banish me or take away your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and make me willing to obey you. That's a great prayer that we should look at every day. Lord, take my will and bend it to make it your will. Not my will, but thine will be done. Created me a clean heart. You see, this is the gifting. The Holy Spirit's the gifting of God as part of the new covenant. This won't be on the screen, but Jeremiah 31 is the great chapter of the promise of the new covenant. That it wasn't just going to be obeying by externals, but I believe uh, pre, pre, uh, pre uh, 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 not predicting, but, but uh, ahead of the and seeing ahead of the work of the Spirit, Jeremiah 31, 33. Listen to this. Write it down. Look at it later. For this, talking about future, talking about the future new covenant that would be made in Christ. Listen to some of those promises. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. What is the Holy Spirit doing? He's taking the will of God, applying it, writing in our hearts, making it not just some external monument, little sign, coffee mug we keep in our... No, he's writing it on our lives so it, very, it becomes very intrinsically part of our very being. So when we are facing temptation or we're facing a situation of compromise, we don't have to say, wait a minute, wait a minute, let me get out and see... What am I supposed to do in this situation? What am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to? Uh, let's see. Am I supposed to run off with this woman? Let me see here. Let me see here. Is that? Is that? Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. I need to check. I need to check. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. No. Scripture comes to your mind in Galatians. Whatsoever man sows, that shall he reap. The Holy Spirit. That's why the Bible says. I have hidden thy word in my, what? 
in my glove compartment box. I've hidden it in my heart. So that, so that, so that I might not sin against you. The last that we'll look at this morning. But I think we won't. We'll just pick up where I left off next time. Is that okay? Shaw game to be here for another hour and a half, but I don't... You might be, my wife won't be, so uh, I'll have to get a ride home. How many of you have either currently have gone, you go um, scuba diving? Scuba diving. I remember we used to have somebody in the church did a lot of uh, the uh, cave divings and those things. Think about, think about, don't, don't start flipping pages and notebooks, okay? Just listen. Deep sea divers enter the water with these tanks on their back and they have oxygen. The purpose of the tanks strapped to their backs is so that they can, for a, for a time, live and survive in a foreign environment, right? Water is not their natural habitat, the diver. It's not the normal place for them to live, so in order for them to survive in this foreign environment of water, they need to be connected to a life source from their real world. You with me? In order for them to make it in that world, they need air from this world. In other words, if they get disconnected from the air from this world, they won't last long in that world. Their connectedness is the key to survival because they, us, weren't meant to live underwater. We weren't meant, we weren't designed for that. So they borrow, the scuba diver borrows from this world oxygen in order to live for a time in that world. That life source in the life of a Christian is the Holy Spirit. He is our life source. Jesus said in John 15, 5, that apart from me, you can do nothing. And when you read the whole thing in the context of what he's putting in there all along, is the, I will send you the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit. You see, in order to live here and to make it here, you need to be connected to a life source from your and our real world. This is not our real world. If you're looking to, keep, to connect to this world as your life source, guess what? You're going to drown. You're going to be gasping for air because there's no life down here. When we get disconnected from the life source of our real home, our real environment, where we really are meant to exist and live, then we can live and operate here only as we are connected to the life source. How did Jesus do this? He said, I will send you the Holy Spirit who will be inside of you, who will come and live among you. He will bring from the Father, from me, 
write it on your hearts, enable you to live in this world with life.